what was that Twitter thing that was going on the warehouse? I got it. Okay. Welcome to Library Punk. We are a federated reserve of book warehouses now. I'm Justin. I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Sadie. I work IT in a public library. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Jay. I am an academic metadata and discovery librarian, and my pronouns are he, him. And we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah. Um, my name is Kay. I'm an adult services desk assistant at a public library outside of Chicago, and my pronouns are any of them, really, but if you had to pick, I'd choose they or she if you'd like. But that's pretty much. Hmm. Welcome. Yeah, really psyched to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so this is continuing our series on interviewing non-librarians who are library workers and talking about their experiences and just, you know, trying to get library communities to be more about the whole library, I guess is kind of the point I'm making with this. I just feel like library assistants aren't really like included and IT workers aren't really like mentioned. It's like librarians, you know. Especially since we talked about like systems and infrastructure last week, like, you know, considering the whole things and so important. Yeah. But what if you just put it in a warehouse? What if you put the system in a warehouse? Uh, That's what What if you took old computers and put them in a warehouse so that anyone could use them? Because that's how that works. It that sounds work. like my actual nightmare, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, that sounds like my actual job. <laughs> yeah, so I thought you were going to say too. No, a good chunk of my job is simply just keeping old computers turned on, so it's not too far off. <laughs> yeah, I found out my, my computer can't handle Windows 11, which is really annoying because my computer is only like two years old. Oh, and really? Yeah, I, wow. it has. it's like a brand new computer because I bricked my my Franken machine that I had going since grad school. And then I tried to to upgrade the processor and it finally was like, no, I don't think so. Not this time. And That's it just worked. Yes. But the, yeah. So this computer is not that old and it's got like an AMD Ryzen processor. I don't understand what the problem is. So that's freaking me out. Also, I have a conspiracy about my Chromebook that like Google has intentionally bricked it because it's a gen one Chromebook and it can't even load YouTube. Even after a complete reset, factory reset. Weird. Doesn't Google own YouTube now? Yeah. That's why I thought like Google Chrome is like the Chrome OS is supposed to run like the drive software very well. And that's why the Gen 1 ones didn't have any storage. But now it's just either the web has become that much harder to navigate, which is possible, or Google's intentionally bricked them because they last too long. Because I've had this since grad school. So yeah, planned obsolescence. Yeah, I think Gotta love that's kind it. of eventually like Apple won't even have to do planned up obsolescence because they'll just make the OS bigger than the storage for like an iPhone 6. So the whole operating system is bigger than the possible storage. Yeah, my best friend has got like an iPhone 6, I think, still. And it's to the point and like he um where he can't upgrade like the 
the the OS on it past a certain point, and so many of the apps that he used uh, that are installed on his phone, like will now require to be an OS that he can't get. So there's just so many apps on his phone that he just like can't use <laughs> anymore. Wow. Yeah, because they were like <laughs> trying to force sick, an update. But... Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much why I I bought a new tablet recently. It was because I have a. Google 10 inch Nexus that I think I got back in like 2015 ish. And yeah, it, it could go up to Android five and then like stopped. So it was getting to the point where, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't use any apps and otherwise it runs fine. It's just stupid. So that was what was discouraging me because I was thinking about buying like an old iPad just so I can sit out. Cause I like to sit out on my porch when it's nice, but I don't like lugging my big laptop. The one that actually works back and forth. And like, if I'm going to like sit outside and watch Queer Eye for like five hours, like, which is what I've been doing, uh, then I could just get a tablet. But I'm afraid the tablet's not going to be able to run Netflix app. Mm. I watch I watch Netflix on my tablet now, and I got it for like two fifty refurbished. So they're oh, out I there. Yeah, I could swing that. I've been I've been binging the Untamed lately. So anyway, I feel like we're excluding Kay. Kay, jump in whenever you want to <laughs> okay. complain about stuff. Yeah, this is about oh, it's you. All good. <laughs> no, this is like my first time on a podcast, so I'm feeling very like I don't know. It's weird. It always sounds um, good after the edit. It's seriously like Absolutely. I'll think it's like the worst recording we've ever done, and then I listen to it after Justin's <laughs> edited, and I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> well, it's funny because like I DJ, and I'm so used to like recording like music and stuff, but my voice. I want to hear about that <laughs> myself. I'm like, huh? Who? <laughs> like, yeah. I DJ too. Love. <laughs> I gotta say, when I first heard the sound effects like coming through my car speakers listening to this, I was very excited with the air horn and the um, the ham horn sample. It was always pretty incredible, like insertion point into the conversation. So mm-hmm. props to y'all. <laughs> That's all, Justin. It's surprising. I don't know why more pe- more podcasts don't use voice mod because it's like 25 bucks for a permanent license. And everyone else is like, yeah, I got the new XR2 board. I'm like, it's five hotkeys and software. And it's like, a, yeah. it's like hundreds of dollars. I've looked at getting one because I thought it'd be fun to have like tactile. But the switches are just like boring. They're not like toggles. They're not cool. That's why they, that's why they don't want them because they're not cool. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, bros and electronic music are pretty similar. Just, they like to make a big deal about the fancy equipment, but in reality, you can make some pretty cool stuff on some refurbished, you know, cheap. Well, no, both of these people are, are like, non-binary trans people. I know who have this, mm. this thing I'm thinking of, but they are just, like, gear people, I guess. But it's oh, just, true. like, I don't, I don't know. Fair point. It's a successful yeah. podcast, so maybe they're, like, they could spend it. Yeah, then good for them. <laughs> Let me not be a hater then. Yeah, I would rather just have like multiple more buttons that I can hotkey and then just have that for like anything. I like I just got like a new controller that has like paddles on the back and I, I got a software that can make it do keyboard commands too. But now I'm thinking I can also make my I can I was I had to learn a script. I had to learn how to use uh what is it called? Auto hotkey today, because I was I was deduplicating stuff and 
I needed to select the record I wanted, say that I wanted to make it the record, and then hit control enter. And I did that for like a hundred records. I'm like, this is like grad school when I had to click like a thousand things in Archon because there was no select all button. So you had to go through a thousand records and literally click a thousand checkboxes. And I was like, if I could script this, but I didn't, I didn't script it back then because you would have to both scroll a certain distance and click and move the mouse a certain distance. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to learn that, but this was just three keys. So it was just, I just had it run a thousand times. If you, if you use a controller while you're podcasting, does that make this a gaming podcast? Oh, I, oh no, that's, it's hotkey to F5. That's not hotkey to anything on the soundboard. Damn. Cause F5 would refresh the are still, so. <laughs> we'll, we'll, We'll bring Kay and Kyle back on. Other Kay. Kay with a ferret. Yes. Yeah. That was a good episode. Thank you. Yeah. I I am trying to do an episode with Horror Vanguard right now, but they're booked out until March. But I also want to get Kay on because I think it'll be a very fun episode for the both of us to do. Getting them back on uh, Horror Vanguard or are you doing one with them? Me, uh, me doing one. Cool. with. Uh, with him and then also having Kyle on because he's into ancient history and cool. I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to spoil it, but it'll, it's, it's a movie that no one talks about and I want it to be a shock when it shows up on the horror <laughs> Vanguard feed. I was already on it. Mm-hmm. Flipping. It was a good episode. It was. Someone referenced that movie. What was it? The, the empty man, the empty man. Someone mentioned that on a podcast I was listening to today that just came out. So I don't think maybe it's getting its due now. Good. Maybe it's it because of the horror Vanguard episode. Maybe. And, you know, I don't know. A lot of people listen to it. Yeah. It's weird to think about that. <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Ooh, this looks very cool. Yeah. I, I don't have a segment um, because mm-hmm. I have so- somehow all, all the library Twitter drama. I just miss. I, yes, I follow I so many it. people. That was why I created a library drama account so that I would reblog it on that account, and then I never remember to do it. But it's just been like the same old drama rehashed. You know, the king is yeah. dead. Long live the king. What? What's? What's her name? Callan. What's, what's her real name? I only remember either someone's real name or I remember their Twitter name, but I can't remember both. But um, she wrote. God, she was on the podcast too. Now I feel really bad. Anyway, I think it is Callan, but yeah. Yeah, she wrote a thing about like all the Twitter dog piles, and I think one day people are gonna regret being a part of one. I just find them annoying. Is the main thing because then it's like a million people on my feed all saying the same thing. Yeah, and I'm like, what good is this doing? I did appreciate the post that was unrelated to a Twitter pylon, but it was the guy responding to a twenty dollar bill. With, uh, uh, why am I blanking on her name? Underground Railroad Lady Harriet Tubman. Oh, Harriet Tubman. oh Harriet, yeah, Harriet Tubman with a I gun, and the guy, and the guy, and he was a librarian. Was I think he was called Librarian Dave. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> he just went. Yeah. He just went. No, <laughs> it's like she carried a gun. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of librarians also have been dogpiling on um, the female host and not the male guest that was on of the right good podcast because they just did an episode um where and the term had already existed but they um 
they they couldn't figure out the origin, but sort of calling this sort of like current genre environment of sci-fi and fantasy squeak horror and criticizing it. Sometimes it was like kind of catty, but like it was like legitimate, especially material and class criticisms of it. And I just saw that like, I don't think it was anyone I follow, but I was seeing them tweeting that like just a bunch of librarians who are into like um, that kind of fiction. And I probably know, you know, I don't know if one that I follow was part of it, but like a bunch of like Hugo winning authors and then like annoying librarians were just dogpiling this relatively small podcast um, for criticizing a genre. So, and I was like, and it was at the same time as the other dog pile. And I'm like, these aren't necessarily the same circle, but they're the same kind of people in that circle, in those two circles. So that, that was my feelings because those were happening at the same time. To describe the Whedon inspired fandom pandering toxic positivity in modern fiction and entertainment. It's like anything that's won a Hugo in like the past couple of years is basically that a lot of people think that it's criticizing the presence of positivity and diversity and like lightheartedness or like the fact that like it's says it's attempting deconstruction of or like reclaiming of harmful or old tropes. Um, but if they actually listen to the podcast, that's not what they're saying at all. <laughs> so, isn't that always the case? Of like, course, if you yeah. if you listen to it, or if you actually read the article, or- like most of it's about craft and how they think they're doing one thing and they're just bad at it. <laughs> but it's like all the people who yeah. like go to these writers' workshops and they all know each other, so of course they're the ones nominating each other for Hugo's, right? <laughs> and then the ones right. getting published in like tour and stuff and uncanny. So, mm-hmm. it was a very like materialist uh thing about it and also about the types of diversity in it um that anyway that's a, a rant for another day <laughs> so like chuck tingle is squeakor yeah i am new to library twitter but like yeah no i was just curious about i don't know this the the types of folks who seem to be on library twitter and these pylons i just as you were saying jay the circles seem to be kind of overlapping in that regard yeah so. it seems to be like so I'm only 29 and it seems to be like, I know like still millennials, but like older millennials who, mm-hmm. and this is more of vibes, not that they are like this, but vibes are or were really into Hamilton because they thought it was revolutionary. Yes. Not me calling Hamilton bad. That's you heard not it here. Hamilton is revolutionary. Yeah. But it's like the, the, those kinds of mm-hmm. folks, or like I'm a trans person. It's the kind of cis person that like makes a point about talking about like retweeting turfs and calling them bad and stuff, yes. like making a point to do that. I'm like, do you really mm-hmm. need to like do the thing that everyone else is doing over and over again? It's like that. Right. Because that's what a dog pile is, right? It's, it's just, just like a bunch virtue of people. signaling. Yeah. Yes. Like, I hate saying that, like, I hate it when, like, because I know that they're, that's why a lot of, like, right wing and conservative propaganda works so much is often that it is getting something that is true, but they are coming at mm-hmm. it in good faith and not for the right reasons. Um, yep. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what they're doing, but I don't want to, like, use that language. I think you might as well, because, like, that, 
that kind of stuff only lands because there's so much of it. Like there's a lot more that never gains any currency. And like most people are like, that's a dumb argument. So like when, the, when something hits, they'll just beat it into the ground. And then eventually like leftist shit posters will be like, yeah, what are you cooked? Like I did on the first episode of this podcast. <laughs> that was important to set a tone. Anyway, we've gone 20 minutes and we haven't even talked about our wonderful topic. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. <laughs> we just wanted to hang out. Yeah. Just gonna hang out tonight. Is that not a podcast? Just hanging out? The podcasts are for making friends and for forcing your hyperfocuses on people. So, so true. It really and is. for the abolition of capitalism and a movement towards communism. Yes. God, I hope so. So, um, Okay, how did you first get into libraries? Did you seek out libraries or just kind of fall into it? Kind of, sort of. I like kind of came into it and then also like fell into it. I was doing like a decent amount of like arts administration work in undergrad and like through grad school. And I was also doing a grad program in communication. So I was learning a lot about social science and like um, I was basically going to do the whole academic professorship track thing. And then I kind of quickly realized that I wasn't really the kind of person that's like has that motivation to be an academic. And maybe I'm just burned out, but there's a lot of me sort of having a lot of interest in media and culture and art just broadly. And then not really knowing or not, maybe it's not not knowing, but it's more. Um, struggling with the lack of like interdisciplinary, you know, discussion between different disciplines. So like art and like new media is pretty much kind of new media is what I mostly did through my undergrad, uh, which was like, you know, game design and art and technology stuff. But that kind of thing was the only real bridge between art and media that I could really find. So, so I pretty much like when I figured out what media theory was, I was like, oh, okay, this is exactly what how my brain really works when I think about art and culture. And then to keep a long story short, um, through my grad program, I was doing a lot of service work and food service and, um, you know, being a TA, et cetera. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an instructor. So I was talking to one of my professors and then um, she suggested that I look into working in a library just to see if I would like that sort of aspect of, you know, organizing and arranging information and like, you know, helping students potentially like with research and things of that nature. And so I started looking after talking to like the head librarian at UIC, which is where I got my master's degree. Um, she was like, Hey, there's a website that you can go to for like jobs in the Chicagoland area for library places. And I was like, Oh, okay, perfect. And I started looking just kind of around and I found a position in a public library in the neighborhood that like my dad grew up in, which was really cool. And cause I was looking at jobs uh, throughout the end of my MA and um, income, the two kind of options are either like you go be a professor or you go work in PR um, or work in, I don't know, some kind of private industry. And I was not really interested in doing either. If I had to pick, I'd pick the academic route, but I just was really frustrated by the like, not necessarily the lack of opportunities, but like kind of the lack of opportunities like for this degree and realized, I mean, obviously love reading. I've done that forever. You know, stereotypical kind of like, you know, avid reader kind of thing working in a library, like, or like, you know, anyway. 
So I also have a lot of technical training in creative software and like been working with the public or working with people a lot. So I figured this job as an adult services desk assistant probably encompasses most of what I've been trained to do, which is just like help people with technology and troubleshooting and and then I really like giving people recommendations for, you know, media that I like. So, of course, um, that's pretty perfect for adult services in terms of, like, you know, contemporary and popular books and um, CDs and movies coming out. So I pretty much, so in that regard, I kind of fell into it. I didn't really realize to the extent of, like, how much I actually really feel comfortable in a library setting. Because I just, I didn't do, like, an English degree. So I just, I wasn't really put towards that path or it was kind of... I was definitely more focused on doing more like curatorial arts administration stuff when I was in college. So kind of more museum focused, definitely, that I've experienced. And I have a lot of interest in doing archival work, too, just because I've been around art museums for a long time. So I think that's a big interest of mine. But, but yeah, that's a long answer. But Would love to chat with you about like creative yeah and artsy tech and stuff that's like my shit right now oh, yeah. <laughs> that is like my bread and butter or I'm, I'm really like trying to get back more into it because i just doing social science stuff has yeah made it a little bit more difficult but I'm like i've been doing creative coding the like the art stuff yeah. and then I, I have like a not an arduino but like one of the knockoff like metros and i'm like wanting to do cool mm-hmm stuff with that like i'm not doing i'm not using processing but i'm using like mm-hmm. a wrapper around processing it's yeah. really fun yeah that stuff is so important i think so sick i really want us to do an episode on like creative coding or something and like yeah. maybe how that can apply in like libraries like doing like creative tech and stuff anyway <laughs> yeah no that's like definitely where my like broader interest in working in a public library is is like because I mean, the I really enjoyed the episode on makerspaces, but I um, I have similar frustrations about the whole like STEM career skill building focus, and I really am more interested in like creative spaces, but like with technology specifically. So like, you know, um, so for example, like our my library has a like gadget collection that we have um, that like patrons who have a card with us can like check out a like MIDI synthesizer and like a microphone and like a little media hub, um, like, like converter for your laptop kind of thing. And so that kind of situation on a much, you know, broader scale or like, you know, actually part of the infrastructure of the library, I think is something that is like my immediate kind of like attraction to working in a library, like as a career, I would say, but. Fuck That's the only techno uh, drop I had. That's funny. That's like, yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, So was it the public service aspect that you got? Because you said you got recommended to try working in a library. Was it because mm -hmm. you were focusing on like community organizing? Or was it that you thought like helping people do research would be cool? um, I mean, I have a a broader interest in like organizing and, um, you know, like from a social, you know, justice standpoint, I do. Um, but I didn't really necessarily feel like super strong, like as a, like, you know, individual coming into that. Um, but I do. So my interest was, was about sort of wanting to help students research topics related to communication and technology. So a lot of my discussions with most of like 
the professors and like librarians like outside of my like workplace have mostly been about you know academic librarianship and like thinking about pursuing that just because I like I could you know if I was going to get the MLIS but I think now since working in a public library and like having more experience with it I I am definitely leaning more towards like the public service aspect now um, and having a better understanding of like you know, by the interest beyond myself and just kind of my what I actually enjoy. Like being of service, I think is because um, I'm used to just like you know selling like pizza slices and like I don't know working in fast food and like I had a job in undergrad as like a tour guide for my like very expensive art school. Like, and I don't really. I mean, I don't know. I just feel weird like selling things that I don't actually want to you know, be behind, um, and actually being able to, you know, bridge gaps between people's like, like needs, like directly, like has been really cool. Um, and, but I am like definitely like a baby in terms of library world. Like, I mean, I'm already like a baby in terms of like my age, but also as well as like, um, you know, the world of libraries, especially public ones. But yeah, so most of my time in academic kind of spaces. So um, pursuing public stuff has been really cool. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Were you working in a library while you were in school? Because you're not in school now. Yeah, and I was um, pretty much uh, just a TA when I was at UIC. Um, I wanted to make my way into the library there, but I was too close to graduating to like be hired. Basically, I like interviewed for a um, archivist, like research assistant job at the UIC center for the humanities or the Institute for the humanities and got along with them really well. But then, um, I was graduating like in December of like, you know, last year. So they were like, Oh no, it's like, Oh, you guys do. <laughs> but, um, that kind of thing was definitely on the, um, you know, I really would like to do something like that in the future. I think, um, if I were to work in an academic, cause I think I have, um, a lot of fear still about like teaching and like instruction. So I think working for like a Institute, like for the humanities or sort of around um, building or like mitigating materials for a like museum or sort of, um, yeah. You know what I mean? Just helping out with the academic filing of things and making it available to people who need it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you definitely will have to do instruction if you go to library school and you yeah. re- I, you really should do a lot of instruction courses while in library school because it's like 90% likely it's part of your job. Right. Um, same thing with like supervising. Like you can't really become a librarian and be like, oh, I didn't want to supervise people. It's like, no, they're going to make you supervise library assistants and student workers and stuff like that. That's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why it's like, you know, I'm, I'm one of the people that it's like, you know, I think everyone should know how like maybe not how to catalog, but like how a catalog record, like how that affects the front end. But also I think even people who are going to do tech services should take a reference or instruction course, because like reference is mainly just teaching you that people are bad at asking questions. And so how to go through answering someone like, and that's mm-hmm. helpful regardless. And then like instruction is really helpful because you have to like, even if it's not like, you know, Justin pointed this out to me today uh, for reasons I won't say on a public podcast right now. Um, that like we've got a crime we're planning. A crime I'm I'm planning. Um, uh, that um, <laughs> that like even if it's not like a formal training or supervising, you're still like having to like teach your colleagues something 
really quick or like showed them how to do something or, you know, like do like informal training and whatnot. And like having instruction and reference skill is like really helpful for, for that. Like having a combo, no matter what realm you're in, um, is just going to serve you better in the long run. Academic libraries are like the place you're most likely to get into a position where you're no longer doing public service though. I do have Mm -hmm. colleagues who like don't interact with anybody. So it's possible. Uh, But, but the, the, the rare, the special collections and archives world is just so competitive and there's just so Mm -hmm. few actual slots because it's not actually funded that much. Right. Yeah. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough to give people advice about library stuff. It's just like, if you really like it, go for it. Otherwise, like, you know, just, you're already doing the best thing, which is just to already work in the library. Yeah. Like that was kind of the, like special collections archives precarity problem was kind of the reason why I went into doing a MA in comm and not doing a MA or MFA in art history or arts administration. Cause I was like, Oh no, I, I don't live in New York. Like I'm not, you know, super wealthy. Like I don't have these kind of connections. Like, and calm is like very applicable level. to all sorts of career paths oh, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Calm is such a general field, but at the same time, not at all. It's like it's so weird. But if you work in technology at all, it can have some application. So that's the nice part. Um, yeah, especially in terms of like calm research or like the academic side of calm. It's like it's pretty much like like there's. For some reason, there is not a lot of, at least in from my institution or past institution, there wasn't a lot of like interaction between com and like information studies um, or information science, um, and there really wasn't a lot of even relation between com and computer science, except for the fact that like one of our like um, faculty members in my department was like also faculty in computer science, so like there really wasn't a lot of like discussion about like IT really either, um, which I think is problematic but um, i think at rutgers um i think their high school Mm -hmm. is in their their comm department so yeah yeah. actually almost i almost entered their phd program actually like last year and um it's it's a very very big department and but it's a really nice like mix of everything that is it's info it's common as well as media studies so you are getting like you are able still to get that like critical theory stuff as well as like information technology and like some kind of training so yeah like definitely um hopefully in the future these things like coalesce a lot easier um and like folks who have a lot of different kinds of skills can like find a like fulfilling job that pays them well enough but you know we can only dream yeah i i'm just interested because there's there's usually so many stories about how people get into libraries and they normally follow like I've no- I normally hear this sort of academic one, which is like I wanted to do research and help people do research because I think that's really cool. Like, and usually it's followed by I hate writing up the research, but I like doing the research, so I like like finding sources for people. So mm-hmm. that's usually like the academic yeah. story. Like mine, also too the a lot of the reason why I feel comfortable i think in a library too is it like as a dj and as somebody who like makes music i already have a practice of organizing things and like i think that aspect of like making art with technology and music with technology like has 
kind of made my made my brain more I don't know it's, there's just something to it that I have yet to kind of articulate but I mean like you you put like you know tracks in a playlist and that's what you play out like a set or something and you have to know exactly like what kind of USB to get and like how to download the right software and it's just kind of a lot of um, really interesting um, like technological practices that go along with it that I think is also influenced like why I like working at a library now. Yeah, it's nice to hear different stories in the same one. Um, but with the, the the division between comms, IT, and library science, I always think about like Paul Oatley, who we don't usually learn about as much in library school, but he was just like this early 20th century weirdo who just tried to catalog everything. And he like created all these cataloging systems and he was like obsessed with new technology. So he was the kind of person who thought like microfiche would like create the internet kind of dudes. He was, uh, he thought like telegraphs would just like print microfiche from one country to another and like things that weren't technically impossible. It's just that like technology didn't evolve that way. Right. So you could create like an alternate 20th century, like steampunk of like 1940s. Actually, there was a video game that did that where the world war one didn't end. And so it went on, and you, the game was set in like the year 2000, but World War I never ended. So you had like this extremely weird divergent technology world. Or like um, the like article about the, the, the Memex or, or yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love the Memex. Yeah. Didn't someone make a Memex? I think so. There's also yeah, um, that Chilean yeah. or Chilean or Argentinian writer who did the i forget i don't know what it is in spanish but hopscotch and he like made his own machine for how to read his book because it's like a a, like a without internet or electricity hypertext book from the you know 60s or something or whatever um i just find that kind of stuff fascinating yeah but it's also why like why so much language in IT and so much language in library science doesn't mesh. And it's really frustrating because if you try and and study like library technology, you will find technology like IT articles that use the word library in a way that doesn't mean a library. It means a, an asset database or stuff like that. So it's very frustrating to do that kind of research. I'm sure if I did it more often, I would learn how to filter it out, but it was just once in a while I was trying to look up something about like computer usage in libraries and I just could not find any mm. articles. That's my job search. Like trying mm. to find that sweet spot between library and IT when I go out looking. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the com, com is, a, is a cool field actually. I thought about doing a PhD in comms uh, because there are a lot of, like one of my favorite philosophers has a comm degree, mm. which, uh, Rick Roderick. So he is a Texan philosopher and he's very Texan about it. Um, his, his lectures are on YouTube. I'm going to put them in the notes. Yeah. People cool. should watch them. They're really good. Comm is good. It's just, I feel like, and keep in mind I'm jaded, but I think that a lot of the topics in comm usually are just like, popular topics or like that people want to grift about like or do research about that's kind of self-serving i just kind of what i've noticed in grad school like people's interests tend to be this is a piece of media that i really like and here's a theory that i read and this is how it kind of comes together and it's like 
yes, but like, does it really? Like, it's it's kind of. I mean, maybe it's my frustration with like media studies in general, like, and like the lack of I don't know, um, the lack of reading of Stuart Hall basically that I find. But yeah, I just it, it can do some really cool things, especially when we talk about like. Um, like the discussion last week with, um, with Megan talking about critical infrastructure studies, like that is, you know, talking about the actual material conditions of calm, I think is where um, things where I tend to find, you know, myself most, most comfortable in. But yeah, I mean, like any field that has some, the good parts and the bad parts are the not so, you know, not so nice parts. So I want to get into some of those material questions. Like, uh, you know, as a desk assistant, how have your interactions with librarians and library administrators been? Um, they've been pretty good so far. And keep in mind, like, I've only worked in one public library. Um, so my experience is pretty specific. But I would say that um, a lot of the librarians that I work with really, like, do tend to value, like, the labor that I put in um, because they do understand that it makes a lot of their, you know, job easier. Um, or at least helping to patch certain, you know, uh, issues of like, I do a lot of like readers advisory work for my um, supervisor, or I'll work on constructing ideas for displays. So it's, I do quite a bit of um, things that I, I think others would consider as part of the librarian role, but I don't have that same, you know, kind of um, authority really. But in terms of like administrators, I think I've also had a, a fairly okay experience. Um, definitely. I feel like working at a small library, I do interact a lot with like administrators as well as librarians. So I definitely, um, having a smaller department, like in a small library, like I think as someone who is very well versed in like helping patrons with technology, I think they rely on me a lot to be at the desk and to be present for patrons. Um, and it's made pretty apparent to me that like, yeah, if I wasn't there, like that they would spend most of their time working with patrons and they couldn't really do any sort of like back office work. So that's pretty much understood, but it's also, it's, it's a nice balance at least so far. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the distinction between librarian and non-librarian work is just completely arbitrary in terms of, you know, there's some things that I will, I will pass off because they don't require much training to do, but there was stuff that I would consider still within my role. But like, if I have someone who's, you know, uh, like a graduate assistant and I need to train them up quickly and get them going, like, it's like, okay, yeah, do these projects. This would, this would work really well for you, which usually means I end up passing off the stuff that I would want to do and have fun doing. And then just leaving the worst stuff for myself that I hate doing because I'm like, I can't That's probably the reality. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably that my supervisor probably is like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> the same kind of thing. Uh, when I was in a similar position to UK, as like I basically I was a library assistant. It was it was a very nebulous distinction because like there were times when I would like do programs with librarians like or even like did a whole like readers advisory present like training and stuff so i uh, yeah I, I think it does really flex library to library but mm -hmm. the time you spend interacting with patrons is probably the probably the number one thing that divides that i would think yeah i think for me too like it's that 
having to be on desk and with patrons a lot and being like a young person with who's varied at the technology, I think I am a lot of the stuff comes super easy to me. And like, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of my coworkers are like, may not necessarily have that like ease of use with technology. And so I am called upon to like help with um, a lot more problems when it comes to like patrons having trouble accessing their email or, you know, just kind of, or if there's an issue with the, so like for better clarification, like at my library, our like front desk is like the front facing part of the desk is like for patron services. It's like circulation. And then the other side of it facing the computers is like information or like reference basically. So that's where I sit for adult services. And I'm pretty much monitoring the computer lab for most of my shift. And most of my time is yeah spent uh, helping patrons with, you know, browsing the internet, um, trying to find information they need, you know, printing out a lot of photos, documents. Um, and, um, we have like the nice, like scan easy machine, which is pretty cool. That's also, you know, a pretty big, um, thing we have like mobile printing too. So a lot of patrons like need specific technology assistance. And if, um, someone is at the desk who is not necessarily that well versed in it, it definitely makes, things a little bit more, I mean, I don't know if it's strained, but you know, it's, it's not as uh, easy, I guess, or there's not as much sort of flow um, just from what I've kind of, you know, just seen with coworkers who are not as like, um, they're great in terms of like, you know, patient interaction and like, they're really, you know, interpersonally awesome. But when it comes to like the more specific problems, like there was a patron who came in um, a few weeks ago who was like working on, a like journal that she's like self-publishing using she used canva and like the kindle like digital processing app and i didn't really know a ton about it but i was able to help her in a way that i think if i hadn't like had some you know design or like illustrator training i would have been like i have no idea how to help this person and then i wouldn't know how to like tell that patient i didn't know how to help them you know or be like i can't do this it's i'm still kind of figuring out those boundaries too which is a fun part about being New to all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, at least in a public library, you don't have to worry about inflating someone's grade if you help them too much, which was something right. that I, I yeah. got in trouble for a few times uh, for helping too much. And they're like, if you hadn't helped, their, you know, their grade would be a, a letter lower. And it's like, that's true. That's a good point. I've been there as a TA. Yeah. So, but with, with interactions, you mentioned uh, how, you know, you're working closely with librarians who are doing the same public facing work. Have you had any, any any weird interactions with them as you're working together? Has it gotten awkward in terms of like maybe the age difference, like you've, you've brought up a couple times or the technology comfort difference? Yeah. I mean, the, the age difference is kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's, I think more in terms of like my place in the world is like someone who grew up with like the internet and I think that's why I am a lot more like quick, like on the ball with it, I guess. But in terms of like my interactions with other librarians or people that I work with, like it's hard to say because like I don't really know if the people that are what kind of other individuals who work at the job that I do, like if they are of a similar like kind of age or place in their life as I am or if it's because um, there's a lot of folks that work in like patron services who are like retired um, but people who work, work mostly in adult services, as far as I've seen, have mostly been like people in their like twenties or like some kind of part-time situation where they're also in school or like they're doing something else and kind of figuring things out. So I think if there's that 
kind of understanding. I, I don't really feel an awkwardness there. I think it's just kind of, I'm still adjusting also to working in an environment where I don't have to be on my feet like for eight hours. And like, I'm also just like very grateful that people are nice to me at work. Um, so that's a pretty big part of it. Um, so maybe that's kind of where my maybe not apprehension, but a little bit of uncomfortability is. Muted, Sadie. Sadie, you're muted again. <laughs> God damn it. Um, you said you had kind of a background in food service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also had a background in food service, and Me I had a too. Once, yeah, with um, yes. with another library assistant when I was doing that, where it was like you could tell who worked for retail or food service because they would have the hustle. Completely, I was just going to say this. Yeah yes, is exactly. is that yeah is that something that you've exactly. noticed working in a library or like in any yeah. way? I feel like yeah, I got my gr- oh sorry something. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like I feel like that is such a one of the first kind of judgments that I made, like working in a library, was that I could tell, at least from the folks, I mean, the the folks who are like retired, I couldn't really tell. But like the people who were, I would say like maybe younger than like 45, it was like, okay, I could kind of see like, if you're just willing to just like get up and just help somebody, like you do kind of have that, like the service industry brain. But yeah, like I definitely noticed because I worked at like Wendy's when I was a teenager and then um, worked in a few bars and now I work at Chili's, which is fun. But uh, so I definitely am used to just helping out people that like on, on the job, like I, and I've worked with people who work a bit more timid and just kind of more wanting to just kind of sit and a little bit hesitant to help patrons immediately. And I don't know if I can really like judge them for that necessarily, but I, I am a little like, Hmm. I don't know. Like, there's definitely a different vibe. I think just like people who are very used to just being like, "Okay, I'm gonna go help this person," and then like that's it. Yeah, like I feel like if you're not comfortable working with the public, maybe you shouldn't be in a public-facing role. Right. Yeah. Like I always feel like such a dick saying that, but. (laughs) Yeah, like I know, especially in libraries, there's kind of this culture about, um, you know, oh, like you know, you have your head in a book, and it's all very sort of abstract and but then it's like no like you do have to be able to talk to a stranger immediately and just meet them where they're at and figure out what they're if they're having any issues and if you can best find a solution for them like in that moment yeah i definitely noticed that with just like a few coworkers, but and as such is kind of the field i guess but yeah yeah i mean the it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier with being willing to do instruction and like doing instruction mm-hmm. but the thing that really helped me, it was something I kind of stumbled on in library school because I did, I was going to do an undergrad minor and I took like one class and I was like, nah, I'd rather just graduate faster. And so then I, I took our education course and I really latched onto this thing of anti-anxiety uh, pedagogy, which is you can't remember something if you're stressed out. So that's why like the buddy system works very well for retention. That's why like I can't turn off my library voice when I'm on mic because I spent hours and hours making tutorials and just being as calm as possible and like making people try and mm. feel like I've, I've kind of gotten rid of it now because I have a mic that's like a real mic. I feel like I'm like yelling at it. So that activates like my, my I was in a punk band brain. So I feel like right. that's kind of fixing it. But when I had the headset on, it was just very like I couldn't turn it off. But yeah, I can see what you're saying where some people just don't feel the need to take an initiative 
to to help. And I, I definitely don't try to get on to anybody about like how they're handling their job. But I do sometimes see people on the on the circ desk and you know, they just kind of give robotic answers. And I'm like, you're not helping the person. You're just, yeah. You've like, you've like walked them through like, okay, here has, here's how you get a, a refer, a, a, a study room. You got to do this and you got to do this. And they, they talk, they walk them through this. I watched this whole interaction. I was fascinated. They walked into this whole process and then said, oh, you need a minimum of three people. After walking them through the whole process of how to use like lib guides or lib apps to take the room. And I was like, dude, just give it to them. And they walked away. I'm like, what are you doing? They grab them, tell them, to, tell them it's fine. Tell them there's smaller rooms. I don't know. That kind yeah, of stuff. I have noticed me. a similar, yeah, a similar kind of thing at, at my job. Just like this, yeah, like a kind of robotic way of um, answering. And I think it is because maybe the folks that I like work with, yeah, do have this kind of like anxiety about uh, messing up like in front of a patron or something, um, which I think if you do work in food service, you kind of get rid of that fear after you know so many issues with customers you're just like i don't care like <laughs> i don't get paid enough for this like as long as nobody's throwing a burger at me i'm i'm doing good <laughs> exactly exactly like there have been situations at work where like patrons have definitely like been like verbally aggressive towards me and my coworkers, and they'll and like the patron will be having an outburst and like leave the library and then we'll sort of check in about it like me and my coworkers after and like the coworkers are just like very shook up about it or like um, it's kind of in a way where I after working in a bar, I'm sort of like, okay, like I've seen people like be, I mean, kind of like used to this sort of like you see people at their worst kind of thing and you just learn how to help manage them through that. And you just, but it's, it doesn't affect me as much anymore. Maybe I'm a bit desensitized to the, to the kind of maybe the more chaotic interactions because I'm just, used to being paid to help manage them. So that's part of, I think also that difference between like the more timid people and the other folks who are a bit more extroverted. So you're working in a library now. Has your employer like come up to you and be like, you should go to library school. Yes, definitely. Since graduating from my MA, they're like, Oh, are you going to go back? <laughs> like, it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I could, you know, I mean, but the thing is, is like, but I think this is pretty much like something that I want to do for my, you know, career. So I, I am likely going to pursue it. Um, but I do, you know, I live in Illinois, so the program at U of I is pretty much my best shot in terms of, you know, not really having to pay too much for it and going to a good program. So that is likely what I'll do in the next few years. Um, if I want, you know, like a full-time job, basically that's, that's really the issue is that like, it's, I can find positions that are full-time with my MA. Like there are like roles that I've been seeing that I could fulfill if I wanted to, but a lot of that also requires like more extensive, um, you know, on the job work in libraries. So it's probably just a, it'll be a combination of work experience and going back for library school. And I also, not to brag, but I got a scholarship to the PLA conference. So, nice. um, just very cool. Yeah. Thanks. But, um, so now all my coworkers are like, Oh, are you going to library school? Are you doing this? Are you, this is like your thing now. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is, I want to explore it. <laughs> you know, I want some money to go explore it, but, um, it was kind of, it was just funny how they immediately were like, Oh, 
I hadn't really talked about it because I wanted to kind of avoid that sort of like, oh, you should like come join us kind of thing. Like, yeah, I will. Just give come me- play with us, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> come play with us yeah. forever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Librarians love to tell the people to go to library school, which is... Considering how much we bitch about it, like... <laughs> yeah, it is well, weird. Well, also, like, most people I work with, too, like, they all went to the same program and, like, local to the library, so they're all very, like, you need to go to this program. Hmm. Maybe. I was thinking, yeah, doesn't the University of Chicago have, like, a public history mixed degree that I was looking at back in the day, and I was like, oh, I could have done this and saved, like, thousands of dollars in tuition. I could have done a dual MA at MLIS, but instead I did an yeah. MA, then an MLIS. I and mean, there's that. Is, is it Dominican? Chicago offers. Yeah, Dominican is the. Dominican's yeah. program is great, yeah. That's the only like program like in the Chicagoland area that's for an MLIS, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, you'd think there'd be more. Like, <laughs> especially with the ALA being here. Like, I don't really get like, it. <laughs> I guess the oversaturation. Like, I don't know. I guess. I mean, but then you have, you know, like a huge public library system in Chicago and in Chicago, like who's relying on people not being trained, like in the city of Chicago. It's always people who are, you know, not from the city. So I just, I find that it's all people who went to UIUC or University of Indiana because you can't get a job in UIUC because that's where the library school is. That's where I I did my MLS because I'm from Illinois too. And so many people, they just like, if they're not limited by geographic area, they normally Normally, like we're told you will not get a job in Chicago because that's where everyone's trying to get one. But also then a lot right. just end up going to Chicago and getting a job there. It might not be like yeah. an academic library position. Those are just so hard to get. I mean, CPL is pretty big. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge system. Yeah. Yeah, Dominican's yeah. got some really good professors in their like doing like metadata and cataloging. I've always been impressed like seeing them at like conferences and stuff. So if you're into that, cool. kids, yeah. uh, Dominican's a good place to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, most of my most of my coworkers went there, so yeah. they're all very sort of. Um, and I get it. I mean, that's an interesting thing, you know, related but slightly off topic of like especially in like cities or something where like all of so many of the librarians won't be from that place. Like not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like especially Mm -hmm. in like, especially like in like the kind of job that that you do or like people who Mm -hmm. work like an info desk or like circ reference kind of front end, like being very familiar with the area is a plus and like, yeah, you become familiar and like learn the stuff moving there but being like from there is such a huge plus. And I, my first yeah. professional position was in Utah and there is not a library school in Utah at all. Uh, Brigham Young University used to have one. So some of my older colleagues had one from there, but so many of the librarians there, um, at least at the university of Utah, not, mm-hmm. you know, like all of the heathens go to U of U um, or some, you know, Utah State is a little more Mormony because that's in, I don't know, not Salt Lake City. Um, but so many of my colleagues, like, weren't even from, like, the, like, Mountain West area because there's not a library school there. A few of yeah. the, like, staff people who were working on online degrees right. were, like, maybe from there or had moved there right. years ago and then were working on an online 
masters. But yeah, it was just like a library full of people not from there. Yeah, I noticed yeah. this. I mean, even like my first like two weeks of um, working at the library. And so where I work is like the the blue line ends like pretty much right across the street from where my library is. So the blue line, if listeners are not from Chicago, is a, a 24-hour um, subway or, you know, public transit. So a lot of folks who come in, a lot of patrons who come in are unhoused um, and are facing, you know, insecurity um, for food and shelter and clothing. So it's also a pretty big part of um, my interactions with, with patrons, but also that a lot of folks who are from the city, but are, you know, kind of transplanted or just not really like at the moment located to that area. And so my, one of my coworkers was like trying to aid this patron uh, on the phone about um, they were looking for like a pay easy station, like in the city. And it was like a 55th and Kedzie or something. And my coworker like didn't know what neighborhood that was in. I was like, it's not that far from here. <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, like maybe a 15 minute drive, but I was like, yeah, no, it's definitely like closer to like Midway airport. Like, and I was like, Oh, like, did you not know what that was? And they were like, Oh yeah, no, I'm like, I'm like from Indiana. I don't know what the neighborhoods are in Chicago. And I'm like, we literally work at a library, like just outside of the city limits. Like, I mean, it's like, okay. I mean, like I understand like knowing the suburbs more. Cause I mean, there is a pretty distinct divide between people who live in the city and people who live in the suburbs. I mean, like I'm from the suburbs and it's just like people around here have no idea what's going on uh, in the city. That's their own really because their own ignorance. But anyway, um, it's very telling to me when people don't know like those kind of details about like, like I help out a patron um, like yesterday, I think, or the day before um, he was looking to like sign up for like a government subsidized phone. And the website had him like pit like pin a location on a Google map basically. And his location on his ID was like, uh, it was like in Bronzeville or something, or it was like somewhere, it was near where I used to live uh, when I was living in the city, like near Bridgeport. And I was just thinking like, I don't think any of my other coworkers would be able to like actually figure out like from the map, like where this would be like, cause there's no way to like search, you know, just for the address. It was like, so I just, I think it's a very, um, telling thing of the field that there's not a lot of programs that are centered um, in a city like that. I mean, I guess there is, there has to be like programs like within like New York or like LA. I mean, obviously UCLA is like within Los Angeles, but I don't think there are a lot of like major metropolitan cities that have library science programs like that, which is like where a lot of people are employed and like a lot of people need assistance. Like that's, yeah, it's, it just seems backwards to me. And then there's this dichotomy of like, where it's like, staff slash library workers not in library roles who are maybe more local and then the people with the ml like the with the library degree or people in more traditional library roles might not even and this is doubly true in like academic libraries but i assume the same thing happens in uh public libraries as well where if they didn't get their degree online and are local then they are from someone somewhere else entirely um Mm -hmm. and so then it's like because i'm not someone that's like well if you're gonna work you know you have to be from where you are because like i've got the hell out of where i'm from as quick as possible oh yeah like you know like fuck that but it's this interesting dichotomy that i'm now just thinking about of like i'm not someone who wants to get rid of the degree i think it has its its use um but the way Mm -hmm. that library schools are sort of distributed versus the types of roles that are the degree is used for 
um, right. it, it does create this kind of local versus like like this townie versus someone else type of dichotomy yeah. in libraries that I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that has to do just with pay too, because mm-hmm. like we've at my library we've had a really we've had a hard time finding qualified IT workers. And part of that is because where we are, the salaries are much lower than, say, Seattle, which is only a couple of hours away, that kind of thing. And part of it is just that, like, nobody's going to move to this area for, you know, a 15-an-hour job. It's all people who are either, like, looking for jobs because they, they moved there because of a spouse or spouse's job or something already, or, you know, like, they're looking to get a part-time job while they're in school, you know, and there are plenty of people who are full-time and have been full-time in the library for a long time and have like moved up the ladder that way. But the grand majority of them don't could then go on to taking library positions within the system. And almost every librarian we've hired since I've been, since I started at my library now, like three years ago, almost every single one of them has had to move to the area, including any administrators. So yeah, there's definitely a a pool problem. And like we have a community college, but if you're going to really go for a, like a major university, it's like University of Washington Tacoma is probably the closest one. And that's not even, you know, the big campus. So yeah, I think with the education divide and the pay divide in a lot of ways, that, that really accounts for that. So yeah, I think so it also true. has to do with how often those library jobs open up. Because, mm-hmm. like, we don't, we haven't been able to open, like, we have probably three people who have their MLSs who are local, but are not in librarian jobs because we haven't been able to open any librarian jobs in the past, like, four years. And the public library has just kind of given up on hiring MLS people. So, really? So, our, our librarian that we hired most recently was working at the public library system, had an MLS. And was probably the only person in the library who had an MLS, including like the director. I don't think the director had one. So, yeah, people do ask me a lot, like, because I, I meet people around here and they're like, why'd you move here? And I'm like, for a job, you know, just opened. It was a job I wanted. I want to live different places in the US. It, you know, it's easy for me to do. But uh, yeah, like waiting out for a job, it takes years. Yeah. Yeah, and you spend those years working something else, or I don't know. Yeah, it's just too many like gaps. It never lines up. It doesn't. Like I think if we started a library school, it would create too many MLISs. But then it's also like because while you're waiting, you would just move somewhere else for for another job that opens up. So yeah, I wonder why that why there maybe that is the reason why there isn't an MLIS program like in Chicago because there would be such an oversaturation of people, and there would be there be you know, not a lot of jobs, but too many people with degrees. I mean, it's already the case anyway, but. Or it'd yeah. be like, it would have to limit its acceptance rate so much that it'd right. be like, why have this in a city if you're going to only have so much, like only admit so many people. It's right. almost certainly why, because for a lot of programs, their job placement stats are what determine their funding. So a mm-hmm. lot of, this is why I wasn't able to do a history PhD when I was still pursuing an academic career was uh, the year I graduated and was looking into history PhD programs, no professorships were opening. So there were some programs that were admitting zero new students 
for that year um, because they're like, we project there aren't going to be any seats open. If we can't place you, then that makes us look bad in the rankings. Yeah. So it is some like inside baseball shit of, of like, we're pretty sure we can get like four jobs this year, like for our graduates. But the the library school I went to, they were very clear. They're like, we will not hire you at the university library if you graduate from here. I don't know why wow. that rule existed, but they were very, very clear about it. At least like not immediately after grad school, I'm assuming. Or ever. Yeah, basically. Yeah. They will hire you out of grad school, uh, even if you've been working there two years at that point. So it, w- it was kind of like, yeah, don't hold your breath was basically what everyone said. They're like, just just start applying other places because they're not going to open positions for even if you are an employee for a while, they're probably not going to open a position for you to move into because like, I don't know. They just said it like make, made them look bad to only hire their own graduates. So I think that's probably the same. I thinking in terms of putting an high school in the middle of a city to create its own librarians. Yeah. They could just kind of rely on the whole prestige game that academia plays. So it's, you know, in in another country, that wouldn't be the case. In another country, like a law school is an undergraduate degree, and then you do four years of, of internship practicing law, and then you're a lawyer in that country. Right. Well, yeah, even like the big prestigious universities like UChicago and Northwestern and like, uh, I mean, I'm very surprised UIC doesn't even have a library science like curriculum at all. It's just it's just very interesting for, for schools that are like R1s, like at least kind of some kind of education on this. If you're going to be so, so, you know, front loaded on research, you would think that there'd be an emphasis on library science, but yeah. I think it's like a big commitment to get the ALA accreditation is kind of part of it too. Yeah. They, they really like creating new grad programs that are easy and have no external accreditation. I know my university. That's so true though. Yeah. I know our university has like our, our, our former EVP was also head of new graduate programs and he kept asking our dean, why not start a library school? And our dean was like, I don't have a PhD, one, so I can't be the dean of the library school. And two, like, we can't just set it up and have it running. Like, it's got to get external accreditation and we don't have any faculty who can teach library science. So you're going to have to hire a whole new department of faculty to to do it. So Yeah, I know what when I was at Utah, what they were trying to do, because um, it's like they were like, oh, we should we should be we should have a, a you know, a library school here because there's not one in Utah. But what they were trying to do first was, you know, because University of Utah had the library had like faculty um, it was technically then a college and had a dean and everything. And so they were like, well, what if we started teaching like credit bearing courses? Like where it's like, instead of just doing like instruction and doing like one-offs and stuff, like some of our librarians could teach, you know, there could be like a class every freshman takes. It's like credit bearing and we grade things. It's like a way of like, first we'll do this. And then maybe that will set us up to, to do this other thing later i think i i I know Mm -hmm. like i I feel like that's not a rare thing for an academic library where the librarians have faculty status to start branching into like teaching courses as well yeah uic is like that oh is it yeah yeah shout out to paula dempsey at uic by the way shout out yeah she's a comm sociology liaison but yeah but you know they hold faculty positions and it can get tenure 
and like the whole thing. Yeah, even at my position where we're not faculty, if if they wanted us to teach a course, then you'd just be an adjunct. So mm-hmm. the the one credit research course is very common model, but trying to build a library program off that, I don't know. So, Kate, to wrap up, um, would you have any advice to give people who are pursuing a, a non-librarian job in libraries and, you know, or anything that you would want to tell them, people who are interested? I know we have students who listen who are interested in libraries. Cool. Um, I would say that uh, working as a library assistant is better if you have customer service experience or if you're you know like you have the kind of as Sadie said the hustle or like you know the ability to um, want to jump in on patron interactions I would say that's a good spot to start if you're looking to have you know broaden your horizons in that end um if you're already you know interested in, in libraries but don't have that kind of um interpersonal experience but i mean i'm new to this myself so i think um if i had to give myself maybe advice like before i started i would just this is a good question because like i yeah i feel like i feel like um there's a lot of things to learn that are like librarian related but are also like it related that i think are really important or like moving beyond your own position, I think as much as, or learning as much as you can beyond your own role, I think is probably the best idea. Like if you are in a like public library, especially where you can like jump between different roles and you can gain a better experience that way. But I mean, yeah, like knowing your boundaries in terms of like, you know, what work that you can do, what work that you should do, like in terms of how you're being paid there was a situation like that happened a few weeks ago where we had a patient who came in who were like refused to wear a mask. And uh, my coworker and I like definitely had this sort of moment where we both kind of realized that we don't really get paid enough to like have a sort of intense, aggressive confrontation with the patron. And I would just say to, yeah, people who are in non-librarian roles to like consider your worth as a worker and that you probably don't get paid enough to do a lot of stuff that you do, but you know, you're better for, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I, just, I think that it's, I think that it's, um, it's good to be absorbent, but also know, have a good sense of your own boundaries. Yeah. I was definitely given advice to work in a small library so that you would do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to actually end up doing that. Uh, so uh, yeah, they were right. Um, the more you are able to pick up in terms of lots of different positions will will be better in terms of, you know, I've, I've got colleagues who don't know how to use a checkout system. They're all the same. Yeah, so. like I feel like if you start off with like like kind of a wide range, even if you plan on going into something specific, eventually if you do go to library school and want to be a librarian, it helps you even understand your more niche role if you kind of have like a, a you know, know the playing field kind of. You know, you know what your place and your function is within the larger system kind of thing. It's, it gives you a better perspective. I was just going to say that working at a small library too, like I have a lot of interactions with my director, like pretty directly. And I think learning a lot from those interactions and like understanding like the, how the like roles can collapse pretty easily and um, working in, with only a staff of less than 50. Um, I think it's, it's also kind of important to 
reflect on and be cognizant of the ways that your labor can kind of be collapsed, kind of like context collapse. That's more people than my library has, and we have three campuses and 30,000 students. Yeah, I feel like my staff is probably like, <laughs> like 30 or less, if I had to really think, but okay. yeah. <laughs> well, it yeah. makes me feel a little better about how <laughs> yeah. dire our staffing is. Yeah. No, that's good. Sorry for interrupting so much. It feels like there was a weird lag between our streams because I kept being sure. It's all good. So anything final before we say goodnight? Don't post. Never post. I need to stop posting. Stop posting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I treat Twitter like I treat tum like I treat a Tumblr. I just retweet a lot of things. Mm Mm-hmm. Same. (laughs) Yeah. I saw on Twitter right before I logged on to this that um, they got rid of, uh, if you swipe to your left, they used to show your following and followers, and it didn't for the moment that I refreshed, but I think it's showing it again. But I, Yeah, I, I can just, still see it. Okay, apparent. Okay, good. I was like, if they're making more, <laughs> more ways to make us addicted to knowing who likes us and who doesn't. I'm glad they got rid of the like, I want to log off. really wide photos that were taking up the whole oh. screen that bug the shit out of me I swear I think they don't have a UX design team I think they just make changes and then they decide to keep their not based on the outrage like that's their UX testing it's just on it's just based on vibes like like, vibes based UX instead of like UX experience it's like vibe VX (laughs) right right well thanks for being on yeah this was great yeah Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to me talk about my nice new job that I like. Hopefully I get to do more of this stuff. Yeah. All right. Good night.